worshipped, I want to be loved. I've told you a million times not to talk to me when I'm doing my lashes. Oh, it's you. I didn't know you with all your clothes on. You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view. What am I going to tell you? You look like a woman. Well, girls, looks like it's back to the perfume counter for me. And by the way, there's a name for you ladies, but it isn't used in high society outside of a kennel. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Goldwyn Girls. I am your host, or co-host, Meredith, and I am joined uh, by Amelia, and today we have a very special guest on the show. Uh, With that being said, I'm actually going to go ahead and switch over to Amelia to give an, an introduction to the episode of the day. Hello, Amelia. Hey, I was just gonna correct you and be like, excuse me. (laughs) <laughs> not the host we are both co-hosts this is a 50 50 podcast <laughs> so today we have a very special guest he is a personal friend of ours that we met a few years ago and we love talking to him about movies and we love reading his blog and so that's kind of what we're here to talk about today and uh peter i'm gonna introduce you this is peter avellino Best friend of the Goldwyn Girls podcast. Goldwyn Girls mascot. (laughs) Hi, guys. How are you? Good. We love talking to you. Thank you for having me. Peter and I text every day, so it was really weird this morning to be like, hi, see you in a few minutes. (laughs) Um, I'm happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. So me like Peter, how did we meet? I think we met on we met at TCM Film Festival, if I'm correct. We met online, and you were already friends with. Help me out here. Um, I'm going Casey. to forget every. Yes, Casey's great. <laughs> I think I we met online probably through her, and we just started hanging out during that festival, seeing various films. I remember seeing the front page with you which may have been the first thing that just you and I saw. And I fell asleep. Did you <laughs> fall asleep? You yeah. fell asleep during the front page? Oh, my God. It was 9 a.m., Peter. You need to give me a pass on that. That's, okay, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. I forgive you. I forgive you. But no, we just hit it off. And we kept in touch, and we saw each other again the next year's festival. And we just had a lot of fun hanging out and seeing these movies together. Yeah, and we I continue think- to talk all the time. I think I followed you on Twitter and I didn't, you know, following people on Twitter and then trying to figure out who they are in real life is very difficult <laughs> at, a, at a festival with like a thousand plus people. And mm-hmm. so I think Casey was the one who had me sit with you and her and Anne. And mm-hmm. we watched, what did we watch? Was it the man who knew too much, I think. It may have been. It may have been. Yeah, on nitrate. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. And then I introduced you to Meredith, unless I think Meredith maybe was already following you. Yes. I'm trying to remember how long. I feel like I've been following you for a long time. And I know we have I have I and I don't t- I know we don't talk as much and everything. It's one of those things where like I'm always really happy to see you, but then I feel like at the festivals, I feel like I'm constantly just running around all over the place and I'll see you every so often. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's Peter. And then it's like, okay, I'll see you guys later. 
I don't know. Um, I really but, like thinking about that. I'm like, I'm so I'm all over the place. But um, I, I think that's the way the, the festival is for a lot of people <laughs> that yes. you just get swept. You, you know, the festival starts and you see all these people and you're kind of like, hey, it's that, that person again and that person yep. again. And then you get swept <laughs> up in everything and you yep. wind up not seeing those people all that much but you're still happy to see them yeah peter how long have you been um like when was the first tcm festival that you attended how long have you gone the first couple of years i didn't really i i just i wasn't really paying much attention to it so the first few Mm -hmm. years i went to like just a handful of things like 2010 was the first year i went to see Mm -hmm. the good the bad and the ugly at the chinese that was it with eli wallach in attendance and it was wonderful Oh. It was glorious, and it's the it was the old Chinese, which really isn't anymore, and it was on film, and it was the only time I've seen that movie in that theater, and it was great. Mm-hmm. The next year, I only went to see Reds with Warren Beatty in attendance, being interviewed by Al Baldwin, and that was like, I got to get into Reds. I got to get into <laughs> Reds, because I just really wanted to see it that badly. And um, But by the time the next year came around, I started to go to a few more films here and there and it sort of grew until i just gave in and started going to the entire festival a few years later because i I was i reconciled the fact that i would not be able to possibly see every single film ever made and so that's why Mm -hmm. i enjoy reading your blog so much is because i know that i won't be able to see every film (laughs) that i i I can't see you know it's, it's just impossible so i like to read your blog as a is a chance for me to be like, well, I may not ever watch this or I may just never be able to sit down and watch it. And uh, I'll read your blog and that'll save me the trouble. And it's sometimes <laughs> even it's sometimes even better than the film for me. Well, thank you very much. That's, <laughs> that's very kind of you to say. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we're going to segue to that, to your okay. blog. But I want to kind of scale it back a little bit and kind of ask, how did this passion with movies even begin? I know that's a big question and people hate it, but no, no, I don't, I don't hate it, but it is a big question and it is tough to fully understand, you know, what you did when you were a kid. Um, Because I remember when I was a really little kid going to movies, you know, things like star Wars and Superman and Disney films. I don't really think I thought about it all that much. Then maybe once I started to pass, I don't know, 10, 11, I started to become more interested in them. It was almost like I, when I was a little kid, I really liked baseball and then it started to shift. Maybe there was a strike one year and I got bored or something. I don't know. But um, at a certain point in the eighties, when those movies were coming out, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark and things like that, I started to get more interested in them. And then when I became a teenager, my tastes really started to, branch out. It was interesting because I grew up in suburban New York and, you know, there were a lot of multiplexes up there. And it's looking back on it now, it feels like movies that would open exclusively in New York dribbled out to the suburbs more than they might have in the rest of the country. So even from a young age, I would attempt to just see all sorts of things. And when I, when I was around 14 and I saw Brazil, that blew my mind completely. And for a while, when I was a teenager, that was basically what I called my favorite movie. Okay. And I saw it countless times. I saw it several times in the theater, saw it countless times on video. 
by a certain point, I started to drift away from it, almost like that was the movie I needed then. And it didn't necessarily come with me as I grew up, but that's okay. That doesn't mean I don't like it anymore. I just sort of took from it what I needed to take. And, you know, through the 80s, things like Blue Velvet, you know, uh, was was a big thing for me at the time. But there were also a lot of commercial movies, whether we're talking about, you know, The Untouchables or or Back to the Future or well, the, and, you know, there's also Scorsese's After Hours. And, you know, I just I saw everything I, or at least everything I could. And my tastes really started to develop around that point. And then I saw older movies later. I mean, I saw some on VHS when I was growing up, but I really started to see them when I got into my 20s. It's really interesting that you brought up kind of like the blockbuster era of the 70s. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the multiplex moving in to other areas so that more people could have access to seeing films as Mm -hmm. opposed to driving all the way out to the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, or to the center of the city to see them. So you were like at the perfect, like perfect spot, perfect time to really just become engrossed yeah. in films. Yeah, that's what the that's what happened in the Star Wars generation, I suppose. Yeah. Um, going kind of back to Brazil, which yeah, I sure. have yet to see. It's same. great. See it. See it. Just because <laughs> I haven't seen it in a long time, absolutely see it. Yeah. May- Meredith, maybe we'll do a we'll do a a, a Zoom. Now that I'm the master of the Zoom webinar <laughs> or mistress of the Zoom webinar instead of mistress of the real, uh, maybe we can do a uh, Zoom screening. We should do that. And but we can't charge that. admission because that's, <laughs> that's not that's illegal. Um, Peter, uh, going back to Brazil, what were some other films kind of at that point in your life when you were really getting into films or your, you said that your interests kind of switched over to films? What? What films really resonated with you or felt like they had a, a, a part in that big shift? Brazil was kind of the one, actually. You know, it was around the same time as Back to the Future, which was the big commercial one. It's a fantastic film. Yet Brazil felt different. It had it had the sort of blockbuster fantasy film elements in its DNA, but it was trying to go deeper than that and I wasn't even sure at the time why I responded to it so much I have a better idea now that I look back on it but even then I was going for things I I was interested in films that were taking a a darker approach that weren't just you know Ghostbusters and Return of the Jedi and things like that you know, Gremlins was a big deal when I was a kid, too. But later on, like I mentioned Scorsese's After Hours, which is a very dark comedy and it's a very New York movie. And I saw it in the suburbs and I I, I loved it. I maybe even been a little bit too young to see it. But so what? Um, and the next couple of years after that, I'm trying to remember. Um, um, you know, by the time you get to the late 80s, it's things like Die Hard and A Fish Called Wanda. Oh, one that comes to mind. David Cronenberg was a big deal when I was around that age. And I saw The Dead Zone when it first played. I saw The Fly when it first played. But I went to see Dead Ringers, which I don't know if you've seen it. I have not. It's basically marketed as a horror movie from the director of The Fly. It got coverage in Fangoria. It was the number one movie in the country um, 
its first week, which was one of the craziest things about the 80s that that movie got a wide release and people actually went to see it for one week. Um, I saw that movie and I was basically devastated by it, not in the sense that it made me cry. I remember I didn't cry, but I kind of staggered out of the theater at the end, 17 years old, not fully comprehending what I'd just seen when I saw that movie on opening day. But I know that it, I know that it hit me deep down that there was a, there's this basic sadness to it that, that I understood somehow. And that's, that's a movie, you know, these days I don't really want to go back to a lot. Um, it's a very disturbing movie. You should see it. Um, but it was one of those things where it's funny, you know, I was, I was a teenager. I was probably really, you know, cynical and all that. And I liked the darker stuff. And maybe a little bit later on, I started to enjoy, you know, dumb action movies more than I did then. So I find at a certain point, I kind of had to find this sort of balance between understanding that it's okay to like all this stuff. It's boring to just like one thing. I love action movies, but I wouldn't want to watch action movies every single day and night. But I just try to keep on exploring everything that I possibly can. Yeah, that's a good point. I think one thing that you said earlier that kind of resonated is that it's not that you stop liking these films. It's that you took something that you needed from them at the time, Mm -hmm. whatever that was. I feel like as I transitioned from different parts of my life, like high school to college, you know, there would be films that I would just love and sometimes just gravitate towards and not really let go. And then without really realizing it, they kind of faded into the background. But it definitely wasn't Mm -hmm. because I hate them or don't like them or any of that. It's just they don't have the same special place. They have a place. It's just different. Exactly. Yeah. I really like that perspective, too, because I feel like we all have those those kind of movies that, like you said, it's like it leaves a a mark on your life and definitely impacts you. But absolutely. yeah. 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 Do you have, if, if I may ask real quick too, do you have like an all, it's a really broad question, but like an all time favorite movie? Like, is there one movie you can point to and just say like, you know, this movie changed my life or something that just an ultimate special movie for you? It, I, I guess, I guess I'm sort of forced to put something like Brazil into that list by default, even if I haven't. Sure watched it for years but these days that you know my favorites have kind of changed where i'm always saying it's you know it's the long goodbye it's the apartment it's shampoo not that i'm saying that these are the best films but these are the movies that i connect with the most these days um that i relate to them somehow i need them somehow um along with all those movies that are pieces of comfort food, whether we're talking about Die Hard or things like that, which, you know, all these movies that I wind up watching at least once a year and sometimes more. But, you know, during the pandemic, I've been, you know, watching several movies a night and I find myself trying to find things that I haven't seen yet or even pieces of comfort food that I haven't seen since the 80s, dopey comedies and things like that, that, you know, I haven't seen this since then, but it'll help me right now. And I keep on saying that um, 
you know, if it has a uh, saxophone playing over the opening credits during shots of the Manhattan skyline, boom, that's what I want. That's sort of, you know, <laughs> I want Arthur. Um, I want, you know, I want comedy set there. I want working girl. Um, those are the things I can be in the mood for sometimes, but the pandemic has gone on for so long that I've been watching all sorts of different things, sometimes rewatching, sometimes things I never got around to before. Going off of that, because I have some thoughts on some, as I said earlier, blogs, sometimes there's films that I, I'm like, that's a good concept. And I don't know if I'd be able to sit down and watch it. So I'm just going to read Peter's blog on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which maybe is counterintuitive to what you want, but no, that's okay. That's okay. I think for just my attention span, sometimes I have a hard time actually sitting down and watching films, even though I love them and I obsess about them all the time. So I think reading people's blogs, because I don't feel like writing that writing a blog is my cup of tea. I like reading other people's blogs, including Meredith's and yours. I'm like, I'm your top reader. Um, <laughs> I, we Meredith kind of spoke about this in when we were writing the agenda and I actually had it in my brain for a long time ever since I think I followed you on Twitter can you tell us where the blog title for your blog came from we're like so interested yes. <laughs> okay at a certain when I decided to start writing a blog not really thinking too far ahead um, it was, you know, it was 2007 and there were a lot of blogs out there. So it's like, I just want to, I want to do something like this right now. I just want to start writing something like this right now. And I guess I should have, I, you know, if I'd been really been thinking, I would have come up with some sort of really normal name, you know, movie watcher or something. I don't know. And I just, I picked the most ridiculous name possible, not knowing the ramifications of that. And Mr. Peel is basically an internet alias I had long, long ago that was basically um, a reference to Diana Riggs, Emma Peel, who was called Mrs. Peel on The Avengers. And Sardine Lacour, maybe a better, maybe more pertinent is, um, it was a joke in a movie called Big Trouble with Peter Falk and Alan Arkin that was directed by John Cassavetes. It was kind of a reteaming of the people who made the in-laws with the same writer, Andrew Bergman, who for whatever reason dropped out of directing it. And then John Cassavetes took it over probably as a favor to Peter Falk also to get, to get some money. And it didn't get much of a release at the time in 86, but I did see it and I liked it. And yet at the same time, I could tell that something wasn't quite right like it wasn't a good bad thing but you could tell that something went awry in the making of this movie and it didn't quite come together like in the editing or whatever not just a good bad thing but in a something didn't connect there were issues and I could sense this as a teenager and I always liked the movie but being curious about the movie was one of those things that led me to become interested in other movies and problem productions and things like that um, and you know, it, it was a movie that had a lot of problems. I wasn't wrong about that. Um, and I still enjoy it, even though I can tell that it's, it's not the in-laws. It's not, uh, it's not a classic, but it does have this great scene that you can find on YouTube where Peter Falk has Alan Arkin try what he calls this sardine flavored liqueur. And Alan Arkin does this 
very long spit take, and it's a it's a favorite scene of mine. I so, just answered all my life's questions. Right? <laughs> I don't really have anything. I, I, think, I think I'm done in this, this one. I, I could go on about Big Trouble. It's, uh, it's a funny movie. Beverly D'Angelo, it's one of her best roles. She's great in it. And, of course, Falk and Arkin are, fa- are fantastic. It's just, it's, and, and it's, um, it's a comic spin on Double Indemnity. I'll show it to you sometime, Amelia. I still like yes. it. Yes. <laughs> Get it on 16 and I'll run it. Oh, well, I don't know. There's, maybe there's a 16 out there somewhere. I don't no, know. I'll, if, don't worry. I'll scour on the, the, 35, <laughs> millimeter, the 35 millimeter film forum and, and see if anybody has a print. You have if to find it. If the new Beverly ever shows a 35 of that movie, I will throw a party. I will. <laughs> it will be a whole deal. I will try, try to make every single person I know go to that. Absolutely. Hey, I I'll be first happens. in line. Great. Great. I'll be there with you. I hope this happens. When did you, and obviously we can look it up on your actual blog when you, when your, fo- your first post was, but when did you start your blog and um, what was kind of the main catalyst other than I, seeing I, other people's blogs being I, popping up around the internet? At first it was just sort of random stuff at the time. Um, I wrote a, I wrote a really long piece on the Aaron Sorkin show studio 16 on the sunset strip. At one point, I was just writing these little things, some of which had to do with movies. And I should have known at the time that of course I was going to focus on films. Of course I would. It's me. Why wouldn't I? I just had to get to that point. And I started in 2007, but around 2008, I started to write a few pieces that were very long and they sort of became what the blog is. I wrote a really long piece on the movie Exorcist 2, which was a film I'd been interested in for a very long time. And that was a movie that had a disastrous release where people hated it. And they, they recut the film while it was in theaters, changing the ending. And there were all these other elements that, you know, along with the film itself that interested me. And I sort of wrote this long piece that encapsulated everything I'd ever thought or read or observed about the film. And I don't even think it was one of the it's one of the best things I've ever written, but it sort of became that's what I want to write. These very long essays that are personal somehow and really dig deep into those these films and try to understand why they mean so much to me, if they do. And and there was another piece in 2008 on the Jacques de Michel model shop, which was another favorite, that also became as much a personal essay as anything about the film. And I started to go in that direction. I think, and I tell Meredith this all the time, because she also, obviously also writes a blog, Hashtag the Vitaphone Dreamer. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you. Shameless, shameless plug. Um, I, like I said, I'm really bad at putting my thoughts into words that are coherent. And I'm really bad at coming up with adjectives or nouns that kind of can encompass how I feel about a film. It just kind of comes out and is summarized to, that was good. And I can't, I don't know what it is. It's just something I'm kind of unable to do. And so I think why I appreciate reading your blog and Meredith's blog is because it's like someone's just digging in my brain and pulling it out for me and putting it into co- like to coherent, eloquent sentences that make sense. 
And I like resonate, I think, with a lot of your pieces. And there's, you know, I read a lot of things that you've written that I was like, I thought that I just couldn't put it into words exactly. So I think your your blog really has a lot of personal anecdotes and personal touch in it that is relatable to a lot of people, which I think is why it it's so great. And I want to follow. Oh, I'm sorry. Really good no. on that. Was, um, Thank, was you, say, Thank you. Yeah. And I completely agree. And I was going to say, I think that adding the personal touches to writing when you're writing about um, any kind of film that has, whether you like it, love it or hate it, dislike it, whatever. Like I think just adding the personal stories and, you know, like this is how I felt and this is how it affected me. I like, I think there's just something to that. I love reading people's thoughts and I love doing it as well. And so I'm glad you brought that up because I think it is such a personal thing and it's, um, I don't know. I just think it adds a lot. Like when you add the, you know, how you felt watching it, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, it makes Thank you so much. Thank you're, you. You're welcome for sure. Cause I, I think a lot of people focus a lot on kind of, cause it's film is such a complex thing to kind of describe, especially like when it comes to our emotions or feelings towards a film. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's easy to simplify and say it was good or bad, or this is what makes a good film. This is what makes it a bad film. And so really digging deep into, well, why does it resonate with me? Why does this director resonate with me? Why do I keep turning to this certain actor or actress's filmography? I think your blog has kind of allowed me to kind of consider some of those points as part of my film viewing. I, I'm really glad about that. I, I'm sure I've written pieces on films that were negative, but as time has gone on, I've become less interested in that. Um, it's almost like the perfect piece, the, per, the ideal sort of film for me to write about isn't about a bad film or even about a great film, but it's almost a sort of, this movie, this film might not be perfect, but don't dismiss it. It has interesting things in there that shouldn't be dismissed. And I find myself looking for those sort of things a lot of the time because, uh, you, you know, they're all, there are films that you could probably name that I've never written about. You know, I always use Jaws as the obvious example because, you know, what do I have to bring to the table on Jaws? Everything, Jaws is great. We watch it all the time. I love it. I watch it every year. What do I have to say about Jaws that's, that's anything different? And if I ever come up with that, I'll write it. But I guess I'm always looking for things that people haven't uh, focused on before. Of course, naturally, my last piece was on Goodfellas, but, you know, <laughs> had to write about Goodfellas eventually. I think that a lot of the blog, I, I like all types of film blogs, don't get me wrong. I think that, though, for me, as someone who has sometimes a poor attention span when reading, and uh, when people break things down in kind of like a format that's just a simple, you know, simple if, how do you say it? Simplification of the film. It's easy for me to just kind of skip the rest of the analysis and just skip to the part where it says, here's why it was bad. Here's why it was good. And it's just more of a, rev- you know, it's a review, obviously, but sure. I'm, I guess I'm looking for that deeper kind of analysis or connection and maybe that's just because i went to film school for four years i'm not really sure it can be very easy to say this movie movie good movie bad but and sometimes (laughs) yeah 
that's all you need to say because of the movie. But, you know, what else is there? Yeah. What else is there? Um, Meredith and I, we went, you know, I read your blog pretty frequently, but we kind of categorized some of our favorite pieces that you've written. And we just wanted to kind of talk about it. Oh, so, okay. so, um, I, so I pulled two pieces and actually I went back like archiving and these actually happened to both be, um, gosh, these are like 11 years old, both 2009, oh I believe. Oh, oh my God. I, I, I know. I, I take no blame for anything from that. Back <laughs> but go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. One of, so, one of them that I went ahead and, uh, wrote down was the piece you did on, um, the film, something wild. Uh, oh, okay, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was gonna say because I saw that it's been two or it's probably been two years since I saw it, and I had an online friend recommend that movie to me. I had, I don't think I'd ever heard of it before, and it's one of those things where I watched it and I was like, how is this? Like, why does nobody talk about this movie? And I, I thought it was just absolutely fun um well up until like the last few minutes or whatever it, it was just a crazy experience for me and I was like this is an amazing movie um so I when I saw that you wrote about that actually I think the the first thing I saw was um that you had the like the poster of it on your on the the home page and I was like okay I really need to like go back and look at this so um I really appreciated your write-up on the movie and the appreciation of it as a whole um, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That's, that's one of those movies I could have mentioned a few minutes ago when you asked, you know, what yeah. were some of the films that really, uh, that you really connected with back then? Because I definitely did. And I, you know, the movie was not a hit at the time and people I think were turned off by how it basically became something else in its second half, that it wasn't just the light fun movie they were expecting. Um, which, which was one of those things I loved about it. I, I still I still love it. I know I watched it at some point earlier this year, and it's it's fantastic. It's one of Demi's very best. Obviously, Silence of the Lambs is the one that everyone gravitates towards when talking about the peak. But but I love that one. I love Something Wild. Yeah. Was now is that one that you did you? I'm assuming you saw that like when it first came out was eight, yeah. uh, 86. Uh, yeah, November 86, the first week okay. of November 86. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny how it's a case where I always think of it as a New York movie, even though about only five or 10 minutes are actually set in New York. Uh -huh. But I was starting to become aware of some of those downtown sort of spots where, um, where those few scenes are set. Uh, when Melanie Griffith is driving Jeff Daniels out of town, at one point she turns a corner and they drive, drive right past where the film forum was at the time. It hasn't been in that place in decades, but very quickly you can see it. So it was, those shots of New York was a New York I was starting to, um, starting to know. And, you know, Melanie Griffith is fantastic. And it was the first time I'd ever seen Ray Liotta, I think, in anything. Oh, and yeah. it was just this sense of, life that Demi brought to the film, both the light and the dark and how they both needed to be there. And it's, it's a very human film and it's been, it's a very rich film that makes it ideal to go back to as I grow older, as I understand it even more. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh yeah, the Ray Liotta part, like I, and I'm just going back on my experience of it when I, when I first, or well, I've only seen it once. I need to go back and revisit it. But I remember like, I had no, I mean, I had no idea that was coming. I did not go into it 
you know, it didn't spoil or anything, like, luckily. Um, so I had absolutely no idea that that happened. And I'm assuming <laughs> that I'm sure, like, the audience back when it came out, I'm going to assume that, like you said, like, you know, the audiences are probably, like, either really into it or really not into it. They thought it was amazing. <laughs> I, I think that led to mixed reviews that people were very turned off by the second half. Huh. Um, and where it goes. And I even, I, I vaguely remember people even saying that to me wow. that they wow. wanted a movie to be one thing or the other. And this movie wanted to be both. That's cool. I like that. I love that it chose to do the, I chose to do both too. And I think that's oh, yeah. like for the yeah. better, everything mm-hmm. for the better. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it flopped at the time, but so what yeah. people, people know it now people remember it. It's a great film. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so another, uh, the other, actually the other piece I went ahead and pulled, um, like I said, this actually also was Uh-oh. 2009, okay. Oh, God. <laughs> but okay. you brought it up a few minutes ago. So I know it's, it's one of those, it's still going to be relatable. So I was like, okay, good. Um, so you did a piece, um, on the apartment and, um, this was, yeah, this is December 30th, 2009, which is like the perfect time for is that, that really movie. really when I wrote that? Oh my God. Yeah, I, yeah. That <laughs> and was... it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I really relate a lot to Jack Lemmon's character. And mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of people do. I, I just feel like it's sort of a, it's a pretty universal, relatable character. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Very much. Yeah. Very much. A, a lot of that and, movie is still universal. I mean, maybe not some of the details, yeah. but it, it's, you know, humanity is humanity. It is. It was it's, in 1960. It is now. What to you is most? Is there something most enjoyable, or I guess resonating is the kind of the word of the day. I'm really feeling that. But like, what aspect of the movie um, really do you enjoy the most, or what like really has a, a personal touch on you? Of the apartment. Oh yes, of uh, the apartment. Uh huh. Um, A part of it would just be the relationship between Lemon and McLean. All the, part of it would also just be the movie's understanding of uh, of the hurt and the sadness and the pain that seems to resonate with me in different ways every year, um, which makes the ending earns all that much more. As far as I'm concerned, it was just it was just on TCM again yesterday afternoon, and my, I found myself just sitting down to watch the last half hour or so because I just, I needed it right then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it is one of those movies that is like for all of the parts that are sad and it, you know, it kind of rips your heart out at times, like just all of the, just like you said, like the last, I mean, yeah, the last half hour of it is just, it's all amazing, but just that buildup mm-hmm. of everything and you know, it's, it's going to be good and it's going to be okay. And um, yeah, I feel like it's just one of those ultimate, like, kind of comforting films at least for me i don't know if you feel yeah no 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 it can be as dark as it gets at times and you know i i will always call wilder you know the 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 pinnacle he's the one Mm -hmm. and but even wilder you know every wilder movie is not equal i mean some of them are do have uh are, are are problematic and i don't mean problematic in the way it's used today just some of the, some of them, the coarseness becomes too much. Some of them, the lightness becomes a little bit too much and the apartment, it just, it feels just right. Mm-hmm. Um, some, some days I'm not as much into the mood of the craziness of some like it hot. Sometimes kiss me stupid, which I've also seen multiple times just feels a little bit too constricted. Um, it so much of it is said in one tiny little house and it's like, I, I want it to just become a little wilder, um, wilder. 
uh, <laughs> crazier. <laughs> but the apartment gets the t- and and something like Irma LaDuce is almost a nightmare to me. Um, yep. But the apartment is pretty close to perfect. Yeah, yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that as well. And it's just, I don't know, going back and whatever, like every time watching it, it's just, I feel like it's just, um, I won't say it's perfect or near perfect, but in my opinion, like it's, it's, it's near, it's near there. Yes, and I yeah. can believe before the holiday season is over i'll wind up watching it again i yep. can't believe it i was wondering that too i was going to ask if that's that's kind of one of your go-to like christmasy or new year's or whatever i know it's like you know it's like a perfect new year's eve movie so yeah yes every christmas eve i wind up watching on her majesty's secret service which okay. i'm almost like had enough of by this point but i'll probably wind <laughs> up doing it again this year yeah. um i just i love that film it's one of my favorite bond films it's set around the holiday season which makes it perfect and you know, so much of it, much of it is set um, at this sort of secret base. Blofeld has high atop this mountain in Switzerland at this restaurant that was just built at the time. And there's this larger than life sense of being on top of the world, literally from the way it's photographed and just this holiday feel to it with all the snow. And it's a slightly different Bond film. Sometimes the Bond, the Connery Bonds, as great as they can be, do feel a little slapped together at times. This one feels like there's an intent behind every single shot and cut that makes the entire movie resonate and come together for me all the more. And it's got that holiday flavor that feels right for the end of the year to watch it again and again and again, which I've wound up doing by this point. And there, there are all the usual, you know, I'll, I'm sure I'll probably wind up watching White Christmas. I saw it's on Netflix, so I'll probably put that on. I'll probably watch them up at Christmas Carol again, because I actually really <laughs> like that one. And there, there are a few others I'll pull out, I'm sure. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's the best time of year, I feel like, for going back and just, yeah, finding all the comfort films. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, no, I just want to say I definitely really enjoy what you write as well, and um, I think, yeah, no, I think that you've done, you've done fantastic work, and I uh, really like the aspect that you come come from as well on that. Well, thank you, thank you, Meredith. You're welcome. You. I'll try to keep I'll try to keep going. I'll try to keep going. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> Speaking of Wilder, some of so one of my favorite reviews, Peter, that you wrote was about Kiss Me Stupid. Oh. Okay. Which, of course, I've seen because mm-hmm. Dean Martin. Of course. Uh, I had to watch it. I was, I went through a phase of going through most of his filmography. I, mm-hmm. I, to be honest, I sat through a lot of Martin and Lewis films that I now would probably not be able to sit through. <laughs> but I did it out of love sure. uh, and dedication. Mm-hmm. But I think the one thing I really enjoy about your review is I resonated with the fact that you kind of pointed out that you're not really exactly sure what draws you to Kiss Me Stupid, but you keep getting drawn back anyway, uh, and that it's not one of your favorite films, but it's not a film you dislike either. And I think I kind of relate to that in a way, because every time I see it on TCM or something, I feel obligated to watch it. And I'm going to be like, I need to watch this. This movie is pretty good. But I'm not even sure if I break it down what exactly I like about it. Bringing it up makes me want to watch it again because it's actually been a year or so. And it's a great looking Blu-ray. It just looks beautiful, the black and white. Um, You know, part of it is both Dean Martin and Kim Novak. And Mm -hmm. the intensity 
each of them have, Dean Martin really isn't holding anything back and trying to make this really abrasive version of himself. And Kim Novak, maybe they wanted Marilyn Monroe for it. I don't know. It feels like she's digging in deeper than Marilyn might have at that point in time. If she'd, if she'd lived, maybe she, maybe Wilder would have done it, but maybe she would have just played it as another, I don't know, Marilyn, Marilyn's great, but she was in a couple of movies that didn't really click, like Let's Make Love, where there's really nothing much for her to play beyond just the Marilyn-ness. Mm-hmm. And whether Wilder could have gotten her to go deeper in a comedy at that time, I don't know, because it's almost like The Misfits was her last film, and I almost wouldn't want to, I, I, I would have liked to have seen films that she'd made that go, went further in that direction, but that's another a subject for another time. Kim Novak's amazing at Kiss Me Stupid, and it's unfortunate that I think, I like Ray Walston when he's a supporting player. I like mm-hmm. Ray Walston in The Apartment. I like him in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I'm not sure he works as a lead. Yeah. We're in that house. We're in that house so much of the time that you just kind of want to get out of there. You wish the movie could have stuck around with Dino in, in Vegas for, you know, another 20 minutes before he leaves because there's real energy to that stuff. And when, when, when they get to that tiny town, it's just, are we really going to be here for the next hour, hour and a half? Is that it? Um, but there's a lot to like about the movie anyway. And it's another one of those really pitch black looks at humanity and the, the sexual nature of humanity mm-hmm. and how, how nasty that can be that Wilder wanted to go further and further down with. And I guess that was as far as far down as he could go, which makes it fascinating. It's not the apartment, but it is fascinating to watch. Uh, Obviously, because it's Wilder, I, you know, I should have expected it to be somewhat cynical, but I think because it was a comedy and I, I knew nothing going into it, except that Dean Martin was in it. Mm-hmm. And I was just not expecting it to end so cynically. Mm-hmm. And but one thing I do like is how meta Dean is. I mean, he's meta in a lot of films, right? He I would call him Dean 2.0. Um, <laughs> That's good. That's I good. I really love my favorite moment of that film, which I tried to find on the internet, but no one's posted it. Someone should really do that. Is when he's driving to the small town, and he's I forgot who he's stopped by. I think it might be police, um, but. He's like, what's going on? Did that Sinatra kid get kidnapped again? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, Ugh, you always have to put, you always have to like just squeeze in one joke making fun <laughs> of your best friend. <laughs> I, I have this theory based on no interviews that I've read whatsoever with Wilder. But in the late 50s, he made a, several movies in a row. And one of them was um, The Spirit of St. Louis, which was this big sprawling epic. And probably a very difficult shoot. And a, a, about two movies after that was Witness for the Prosecution, which is great. Um, another one of my favorite TCM screenings I've ever been to, but um, which is great. And yet a lot of it is just two simple sets and was probably a very simple shoot. And the movie came out fantastic. And I wonder if after that, Wilder was like, gee, I prefer these movies where I only have to be on a couple of sets where I can just drive to the lot in the morning from my house 
and just start shooting. And I wonder if that um, I wonder if that led him towards these movies where everything else aside, you're you're in the, like these tiny dingy houses and apartments for most of the running time. Um, which after the apartment, which that was the one he got all the acclaim for, after the apartment is not as much fun. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Yeah. But that's just my own theory. I don't know if that's correct or not. Um, and also, Kim Novak doesn't even appear in the movie for the first 45 minutes. I know. I was like, where is she? Hello. Yeah. She gets top billing. And uh, and that was the famous one where they started shooting with Peter Sellers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's then right. he had a massive heart attack and had to drop out. And um, I don't know why Lemon didn't do it. Maybe I have no idea because it seems like a Lemon role. So you got me. Um and, and because because of the nature of Peter Sellers' screen persona, we'll never know what that could have been like. Because mm-hmm. he was probably he would probably be playing it just as something that we'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. But that's a different movie. Yeah. Maybe it would have worked better. Who knows? Who knows? Um, kind of going back to what I said earlier, that you've written about a lot of films that are on my watch list, but I'm like, I don't know if we'll ever sit down and watch it. I don't know <laughs> if I can ever take the leap. Uh-huh. is Popeye. Oh, and absolutely. See, Popeye. I know. Oh, yes. I, 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 okay. So I've, I watched, I took a dive real quick, mm-hmm. and I, mm-hmm. I watched one of the musical numbers. I don't remember which one on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I remember that you said in your blog, and I'm going to quote you here. Oh, no. Altman always, however feasibly possible, keeps characters alive in the corners of the Technovision frame acting like the animated animated figures they are. And those details are always essential in this ramshackle film with those buildings that look like they might collapse at any minute and moments of inspiration that go by so fast we can barely believe we've seen it. it, which includes painting the set and all the clothing red for a shot lasting a mere few seconds at one point. When I first watched the clip, I was like, what did I just watch? <laughs> I was so, my brain just could not wrap like my, it was just like my brain short circuited and I couldn't wrap my, it just was the most odd world that I'd ever happened to jump into for <laughs> roughly five minutes. Just like, I don't know how he did it, but it's just like the closest you could possibly get to live action that feels like a, still a cartoon. I love the fact that I was taken to that movie when I think I was nine years old just as a movie that I wanted to see that I'd seen commercials for on TV. I didn't know who Robert Altman was, obviously, but there wasn't anything like it at the time. That's for sure. I think I kind of knew that then. And it's definitely still clear now. Um, every now and then I've put it in and it's been like, I, I don't think I can deal with this right now. I need to, no, no, no. But I kind of love it anyway. I do. I love the concept. I think I just need to be in the right mood. I don't know what that mood is, but I need to be That's in one way to put it. the right. <laughs> it sounds like a romantic thing that I just said, but I don't know. It's like I need to I need to be slowly. I need some foreplay before I get into Popeye because it's just it's too intense. Um, <laughs> you can get there. You can get there. I, I think that I think that Robin Williams is perfect. Mm-hmm. For the role, I think that Shelley Duvall is perfect for the Absolutely. role. Absolutely. I love Shelley. I think mm-hmm. she's amazing. She just yes. has this otherworldly look, and she just feels like she fits into a cartoon world pretty perfectly. Mm-hmm. So does Robin Williams. 
And he's very energetic, so it's like a perfect... Yes. But they don't lose momentum in this film, ever. Mm-hmm. It's like it they're all going. like wound up. They're all yeah. wound up like little like little toys, and they just like... It just keeps going. It, it, watch it sometime on a double bill with McCabe and Mrs. Miller, and it's just these two Alban films, one R-rated, one a kid's movie... Both set with these two people thrown together in this ramshackle small town with all these odd characters. Just watch them together. It's perfect. It's perfect. I'll, I'll watch it when I'm old enough to watch R-rated films. But okay, okay, fair I'm enough. Not, I'm not there yet. Fair enough. I forgot I've about got a that. Few yes. years. You're right. Um, okay, one more that I'm going to end with. I just couldn't help but bring this up. And actually, Peter, a year ago when I was here for CineCon and we hung out, I think for I think we hung out twice or so. We went to a little, um, I think, a little diner, and I had a Sunday, and we just sat and talked about talked about uh, seconds. Oh. Yeah. Sure. Sure. And I was just like, so I loved your story about seconds and interviewing Frankenheimer, and it was so. When I read your review, I think I read it after we had talked about it. Because I had just also seen Seconds for for, for the first time recently. Mm-hmm. And I just love your background story about your house being on the corner. Yeah. Of that yeah. street where it's filmed. Mm-hmm. And the fact that every time you watch it, you're waiting to hope to see the camera turn somehow to the house. And it's just so frustrating that it's there, but you can't see it and how that's a metaphor for life. And I was like... <laughs> That hits a little too hard. Well, thank you. It's a it's a fanta- it's a, it's an amazing film. Um, which when I was growing up, that movie wasn't known at all. I don't know if it was even available in video um, on any sort of VHS release back in the day. And I saw it the first time on a sixteen print in college, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so after that, I was aware of it, and you know, I I. I like you mentioned, I interviewed John Frankenheimer in 2002, just a few months before he died, and he was very gracious. And I tried to express to him how much I, I loved that film, among some of his other films. Um, but Seconds has always been a special one. It's a very upsetting film. Um, and along with that is this weird sort of connection I have to it that these, you know, there are these scenes that were set and shot in Scarsdale, New York, where I grew up, right around the corner from my house and they there are these very key scenes set on this street that you know long before i was ever born and it brings this extra level to the movie to me always wanting the movie to go somewhere that it's not going to go because that's just not in the cards for the for the main character because the main character like wanted something that he could never have and that in itself is uh almost in itself more upsetting as time goes on. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that you pinpointed in the review that I couldn't really pinpoint in my brain is that the film and the fact that Rock Hudson is cast in it. And I know, I think at this point when you wrote the review or when you had, when you were writing about when you had seen seconds, you hadn't really seen a lot of his performances with Doris Day or his kind of more comedic performances and going from seeing his performances in that in those kinds of films and then watching him in seconds, he's so buttoned up 
And it just makes it all the more unsettling that he's now in this somewhat commune and drinking a bunch of wine and getting really drunk. And it's just yeah. like very unsettling and uncomfortable. And I think you discussed that in the blog. And I was like, that's, that makes so much sense is just like, he's just this button up guy. And now he's in this commune and, mm-hmm. you know, his new life. And it's just not who he is. It's just so, un- yeah, it's unsettling. Yes, it is. I'm still not the biggest fan of those Rock Hudson's Door State movies, but that's just my own. Uh, I'm a big fan of Man's Favorite Sport. I'll watch that at the drop of a hat with him and Paul Apprentice, the Howard Hawks mm-hmm. film. That one I'll watch all the time. Yeah, but he's also pretty buttoned up in that one, too. You know what I really want to watch with him? I want to watch Avalanche. I actually tried to watch that <laughs> on Prime once, and I don't think I got very far, but uh, go for yeah. it. Go for so- it. One thing that I kind of wanted to ask you, I know that, and correct me if I'm wrong, you hit 700, you you did your 700th post. Am yeah, I that right? was the Goodfellas one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, congrats. Thank you. That's thank awesome. you. Thank you. Thank you. Where's, I have confetti shooters in the bathroom. I should go get them and just buy. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, at least recently, you don't have to do of all time, but what are, what is some of your, what is your, one of your favorite films or blog posts that you've done? Um, it's probably a bunch of them. Um, I felt I was in this really good groove a few years ago when I wrote about things like the swimmer and easy rider. Mm -hmm. And I was really pleased with the way those pieces came out. I like some of the pieces I wrote on Altman films like California split. Um, I'm weirdly fond of one. I wrote some years back on a movie called strangers when we meet, which was another Kim Novak film actually with, uh, her and Kirk Douglas that Richard Quine directed that I made really personal, maybe even too much, but uh, it was a movie I was responding to. And I guess I was just in a mood and I just, even if I went too personal, I, I always liked the way it turned out. I just did. Um, I wrote some Bob, Fo- some pieces on Bob Fosse films like Cabaret and all that jazz that I really liked. Several years back, I wrote a piece on the Mike Nichols film Wolf that I was kind of, connecting it to the change in society since that movie had been made. And I was really pleased with the way it turned out. Wrote about Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Um, I wrote about The Last Jedi. I wrote about, there was my Once Upon a Time in Hollywood piece last year, which I was very pleased with. I loved that post, Peter. Thank you. Thank you, Amelia. After I watched it, you know, because we talked about me going to see that film, because I was updating you on my journey on the bus. Mm-hmm. to go see uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Gizmo. and <laughs> I remember that, yes. Yeah. And we got seats, don't worry. It was, I think I was front row. Wow, and okay. And it was just so, such a great experience on 35. Fantastic. Uh, and so then I immediately had to read your review, and I think a lot of that, what you said in your review, resonated with me. I'm glad. I'm glad. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I was, every now and then I... I just decided to write about a movie out of nowhere for no reason. I remember I did that with the Betty Davis film, The Letter, for no reason. It was like, I think I want to write about this. Like, never written about a Betty Davis movie from the from the 1940s before. Why not? And Shout and, out to Gail Sonregard. Oh, oh, yes, that's right. That's right. And um, sometimes, yes, exactly, exactly. Sometimes that sort of, um, that sort of approach of why the hell not can be rewarding. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, 
Meredith had a good question. Um, she writes a blog and she knows a lot of people who do blogs as well. Could you give any, I'm sorry if you've been asked this before, could you give any like advice or tips on what, what do you think is the best way to go about writing a blog? Maybe for somebody who wants to start one or maybe he's having, you know, issues doing things, but do you have any kind of surefire tips of like, okay, this is, this is how I keep myself going. Sometimes I feel like I uh, have those questions myself, actually. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> if you're, if, you know, if, if, if you're talking about writing a film blog, certainly the passion helps mm-hmm. and wanting to know why you're writing in the first place and what you want to say. And, you know, these days, especially a lot of it can be just focus, you know, really forcing yourself to sit down and do the work and understanding that, you know, if you're going to be starting a blog, you might not necessarily be hitting the bullseye right away. You just need to work at it and just keep pushing yourself. Sometimes, sometimes I've had to force myself to try to write about certain things that I wasn't sure if I grasped. And I just, I wanted to I wanted to get better, and I felt that trying to grasp it would would make me get better. And a lot of it is just about doing the work, about wanting to do the work, making yourself do the work. It's not easy. It's not easy. Like I said, sometimes sometimes these days I have those questions myself. I, for me, I find um, consistency to be the most difficult thing, and you know, I'll sit there and I'll tell myself like, okay, it's been like three months since you've written anything. Like, what are you doing? And then I'm like, I can't, you know, like I try to kind of pressure myself to write something, but then I, I found for me, it's sometimes it's, it's one of those things where if I might watch something and all of a sudden I'm feeling very passionate about it. And I'm like, you know what? I feel like, I feel this movie, I'm going to write about it. And mm-hmm. I think like just this sort of like where I am in life, that's kind of been the it's been working best for me, but I don't know if, if you find, have you had issues with that too, of like just consistently getting content out there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, consistency is not easy because that almost makes it seem like a job. And especially if, you know, you're not getting paid for it that, you know, you could lose incentive, but you, you, you need to push yourself and consistency can help to do one after the other to make, it's almost like using a muscle that you get more used to that muscle being active. But if you, if you want to do it, you know, the consistency helps because that gets you in the rhythm where you don't want to stop because you want to keep going because it becomes that much more challenging and you want to see what else you can do and try to understand these films and what you have to say about them. Um, so just kind of wrapping it up here. What? Everyone, yes. <laughs> Say okay. it ain't so. Uh, just so everyone knows, you should all follow Peter's blog, Mr. Peel's Sardine Liqueur, and follow him on Twitter because he has great content on Twitter. Thank you. And I love following you on Twitter, and I'm not Thank just you. saying that because I'm your friend. Um, <laughs> Peter A. Peel on Twitter. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And Instagram. And, oh, and and uh, Meredith has her blog, The Vitaphone Dreamer, which is really great as well. Thank you. I don't have a blog, but <laughs> I post about Gail Sondergaard a lot on Twitter. So I guess if you like that kind of stuff, follow me on my Sleepy Serenade. Actually, Everyone... it's just Sleepy Serenade. 
<laughs> I don't even I don't even know my own username. Uh, Mistress of the Real is my name on Twitter. Although it's I need a great to change Twitter it account. To, to Mistress <laughs> of the Webinar now. Um, and I hope this pandemic ends soon, Peter, and so we can hang out at Planet Hollywood again, and maybe see Christian Slater and at Planet Hollywood, and you know, just like old times. I saw Melanie Griffith at Planet Hollywood in 1991. Does that help? Oh my gosh, love that. <laughs> I wasn't there yet. Uh, <laughs> maybe 97, 98. You could, we could go back in time and you could push me in my stroller to Planet Hollywood. Okay. <laughs> so maybe I'll spot Christian Slater. And even as a child, I'll think, why does he talk like that? <laughs> But yeah, the pandemic ends so we can go see some movies together because we actually don't live that far away from each other. (laughs) I can't wait. I can't wait to see you again, Amelia. Absolutely. And to go to these movies. Yes. Get down. Get down here. Stat. I can't wait (sighs) to get to LA. Man, you're making me miss that. (laughs) Well, right now it's just like everywhere else. But when (laughs) when there's no pandemic, get down here so you can wait in line at the New Beverly with Peter and I. Yep, I'm ready it for it. It will be a wonderful day. Yeah. So you can give me a ride home. Okay. <laughs> the movie okay. after it's done. Um, okay. It has been a pleasure to be here. I love talking with Beautiful. you, Peter, about movies. Yes. Yeah. Same here, Amelia. Same here. So insightful. Yes. Yeah. You're the movie genius. <laughs> Icon. Thank you, Amelia, and thank you, Meredith. <laughs> thank you. We really enjoyed having you on, and at some point, maybe we can get you. If you ever want to come back, we'll we have plenty to talk about. So <laughs> I would love to. I would love to. It would be fantastic. This has been great. If you want to follow the our our podcast on Twitter or Instagram, we're pretty active on those social media platforms. So follow us at Goldwyn Girls Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We do some really weird polls on Twitter, and we also <laughs> tweet a lot of film news and t- film-related posts that we think are very important. So, yeah, and uh, we'll be posting our, our episode on there soon. And uh, it was great chatting with you, Peter. And uh, we'll see everyone next time. Great. Right. Thank you for Thanks. having me. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. 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 I guess it's-